Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to one of the great chapters in all of the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11. And I do apologize, I still got some uh, pushback here, so, but uh, one of the great chapters in all the Word of God, often called God's Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith. And on Wednesday night, we saw uh, a wonderful definition of faith in verse 1. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not wishful thinking. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's evidence. The faith that God has given you tonight, as it agrees with the Word of God, is evidence of something you can't see yet. But it's what God gives you until the time comes when you'll no longer need faith. Did you ever stop and think about that? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest three things are faith, hope, and charity. And when we get to heaven, we won't need hope because all our hopes will be realized and we'll no longer need faith because we'll see. We'll see with our own eyes that which we have only thought about and dreamed about. And uh, what will remain is charity. So faith is, in this particular verse, it's a definition by description. And you really can't, you really can't improve on it. And then you get to verse 2, by it the elders obtained a good report. See, we often call that a report card. And that's what this is in this chapter, by the way. It's a report card, but it's a report card that got scrubbed up. It's a report card that got scrubbed up. I mentioned Wednesday night, if you go through these, this chapter, every one of these men and women, not one of their faults is ever mentioned. Isn't that wonderful? You know what that tells me? When we get to heaven, our faults and failures won't even be remembered. <laughs> Man, that alone makes heaven heaven, amen? Yeah. Did you ever have a, a come back from school and have to bring a bad report card to your folks? Come on. <laughs> I can't be the only one now. What do we have? Just two flunkies in this church? Or <laughs> bunch of liars? <laughs> All right, that's a better number. Okay, that's a little more reason. Make me feel a little better anyways. The one bad report card I came home with when I went to parochial school through the fifth or sixth grade, whatever it was, they had all the standard, you know, English, history, math, whatever. And then they had one, and, and, and I never saw this in public school, but they had one for conduct. They had one for conduct. And I usually got an okay grade in conduct, C, B, whatever. But this particular time I got a D. Got a D in conduct, and I knew my parents weren't going to be happy. Um, they were not the modern parent that, you know, when their kids got in trouble with authorities, whether it was teachers or police or whatever, they took our side. 
No, by default, they took the other side. So I already knew I was in trouble. And really, you're going to laugh when I say this, I wasn't a bad kid. Go ahead. <laughs> I was A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. If I was in grade school now in public school, they'd give me Ritalin and Zoloft and six other things to calm me down. Because I just was hyper. I just had an attention span that was like a quarter inch long. And this classroom, it was, it was set up altogether wrong for someone like me. It had on one side just all windows to the outside. And I don't, you know, the teacher told my mom I did this. I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure I did. It was, it's like in the fifth grade or something, fourth grade. But she said I would just get up out of my seat and just walk over by those windows and start walking down and just staring out the windows. <laughs> I just apparently got bored with what she was doing. And I wasn't bothering anybody else. Of course, I probably was a little bit of a distraction. And, uh, and she proceeded to tell my mother that I was the Antichrist. And she had her crying, and I was this terrible, awful, horrible person. But really, I wasn't. I just, like I said, I had zero attention span. I'm in a room that's got these windows to all this interesting stuff that's going on out there that's way cooler than what we're doing. So I remember bringing that report card home and uh, just wishing I could go back to the teacher and have her scrub it up for me. Turn that D at least into a B. And you know something? This report card here today, I, I challenge you to read this chapter when you get alone and try to find one mention of one fault in any of these men and women. And, and folks, you know what that tells me? Folks, the future we're headed for is just wonderful because God's got it all covered. The Bible says, you know, after the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be no more tears. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, we were at Chloe's grave the other day, and we shed some tears. And uh, there won't be any more tears. No more tears. The former things are going to be forgotten. What does that mean? It, where, where and when we blew it. And man... That's going to that's gonna wipe a lot of the slate, isn't it? And that's what we see in this chapter. I mean, and, and it's not like these, you know, these, these are all, for the most part, you know, people in the Word of God that you consider to be great uh, patriarchs and such. But, you know, there's, there's some pretty rough ones in here. Um, Samson. Huh? Uh, Samson was mostly a doofus. Okay? If you ask me to describe Samson, I would say doofus. The guy had a stock toolbox, and all he knew how to do was play games, gamble, and get as close to the edge of disaster as he could stay. And it eventually caught up with him. But he's in here, and none of that's mentioned. He's just a hero of faith. 
So can I say something that's not in my notes and wasn't even on my mind when I came into this pulpit? You know, maybe you've been a Samson. Maybe you've been a Samson. Okay, just go do something right. One thing. Just one. Who knows? Amen? Who knows? God might forget all the junk and just remember that one thing. That's what we were singing about amazing grace. That's why it's amazing, folks. That's why it's amazing. It's, it's so counterintuitive. Man-made grace would have condition after condition after condition attached to it, wouldn't it? I'm a big, I'm a big sticky note guy. Here, I got one right here. I'm a big sticky note guy. You know what man's grace would have? It would, it would have sticky notes all over it. You know, but this, you know, contingency four, uh, you know, read, read, read contingency six. It would have all these exceptions, qualifications, and uh, not God's grace. What a wonderful thing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report, good report card here. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I, I'm going to suggest something to you here, and I, I think maybe it's, it's, it might be hard to absorb this statement at face value because I think it's something we take for granted. But I'm going to say to you, if you look at verse 3, as a believer... If you know Christ as your Savior, and you believe the Bible, then you've got three questions answered that the most brilliant lost man in the world has no clue about. And I'll throw in scientist. You know, everybody's, you know, you throw the word scientist, and you got somebody just, 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 just between God and man, you know, these days. Let me put it to you this way. The most uneducated Christian is troubled less about the mysteries of life and matter than the greatest non-Christian scientist. For the Christian knows by faith that God's word is true, and that is enough for him. And do you know what you have nailed down today if you know Christ? And if you believe that book? Three of the great questions that the rest of the world spends the rest of their lives chasing around and trying to figure out. Number one, how did I get here? How did I get here? Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God. It's that simple. It's that simple. How did I get here? People that believe in evolution, the Big Bang, or whatever version of that you want to you pick, they don't have any idea about it. It's a theory. It's a guess. And eventually, when you keep pushing back to the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginnings, you eventually have, you have to have some energy, some spark, someone to get it going. 
I, I told you the, uh, not too long ago, was it, uh, he just died recently. Um, was considered the smartest man. Hawkins, yeah. And I read you an article uh, about him and another guy that was, it was so ironic. It was criticizing, they were criticizing, you ready for this? The design of the eye. Boy, you better be careful there, buddy. You're drifting away from evolution when you start talking about design. And you want to hear their criticism? I mean, the eye is so incredible. Your retina, the retina in one of your eyes, if, if, if it wasn't put together the way God put it together, just to, just to keep one of your retinas going, you would have to carry on your back a computer the size of a single-drawer file cabinet just for one of your retinas. That's how complicated it is. And so here's, here, here was the complaint. Your eye sees everything upside down, and then your brain turns it right side up. Anybody have a problem with that? I'm okay with it. My, my eyes can see it any way it wants as long as my brain straightens it out. And so far, my brain's been able to do that. Amazingly enough sometimes. That was the criticism of the design of the eye from this ultimate atheist, evolutionist, agnostic, fill in any blank you want. And uh, what was he doing? He, he, he was acknowledging what we know about him all along. He knows there's a God. And he knows that God did all the creating. And he just wanted to throw a little jab at God. But in doing so, he admitted a couple of those things. Now, folks, if you're saved here this morning, the question of how did I get here, that's been taken care of. Here's the next one. And this is huge. This is huge. I mean, people, there's, there's whole disciplines of medical science for this, psychology and psychiatry and everything else, but people looking for purpose in life Here's the second question. Number one, how did I get here? Number two, why am I here? Why am I here? You know, as a Christian, the minute you got saved, that question was answered. You have purpose in life. Do you know a lot of people that have most of what everybody would think would, you know, make you, make you happy, whether it's wealth or or uh, just, you know, power, lots of friends, whatever. There's a lot of those people that are, that are drinking themselves to death, uh, medicating themselves to death. They can't find any meaning in life. They, it, it has no meaning. It's like, is this all there is? Because this is not enough. The physical is not enough. Man is a body and a soul 
and a spirit. And until we have fellowship with God, there's this big void. Folks, the minute you got saved, where did I come, where did I come from? How did I get here? Answered. What am I doing here? What's, what's the purpose in my life? Oh, my goodness. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it what? More abundantly. Man, the abundant life is so abundant. It overwhelms me sometimes. Anybody else? There's just so much to it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then number three. Here, here's the real biggie. Where am I going? Where am I going? You know Christ is your Savior today. You got those three questions answered. And so he says, uh, for, for through faith, verse 3, uh, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In another verse, it says that, that all things are upheld by the word of his power. Think of it, folks. If we're going to build something, let's say a couple of you guys that are contractors got together and said, hey, let's, let's build a... Well, let's build a, you know, let's 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 build another gym next to our gym. I don't know why you would do that, but you're going to build another gym. Would you go out there tomorrow, three or four of you, and just sit cross-legged in the lotus position in the grass and say, "Jim, B, B." Jim. If you did that long enough and stayed there long enough, they'd cart you off. <laughs> you say, why is that? You can't speak that into existence. No. You're going to start ordering materials. <laughs> right now, good luck with that one. You're going to start ordering materials. You're going to start calculating costs. You're going to start... You're going to start moving dirt with excavation equipment. You're, you're going to start pouring. You're going to put on a tool belt. There's going to be scaffolds and ladders. You know what God did to put all this together? He spoke it. He spoke it, and it came into existence. He, he didn't have to drive a nail make a weld or a rivet. He just spoke it. And you know what keeps it going? The word of his power, the Bible says. You know, they, um, they study the, and I, I, never, I never studied the atom much. But, you know, you got the protons, neutrons, electrons, and everything spinning around like crazy. And, of course, man... Man is always really brilliant. We figured out how to split it so we could blow half the world out of existence with one bomb. And uh, so that's what man's learned about the atoms definitively. It's how to kill everybody. But when they get done with the atom, the protons, the neutrons, the electrons, and all that spinning around and everything, they get down to one more thing. And they don't have an answer for it. What is that energy that keeps it all together. 
we, we have figured out how to split it now and again and get a nice big explosion and kill our enemies. Or, but what, what keeps it all together? What is that? The Bible says it's the word of his power. And as long as Jesus Christ wills, then the, the atoms in this building and outside of this building and all around the world will stay together. Peter tells us that one of these days that the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat and God's going to remodel the entire universe. Did you ever, how many of you ever remodeled your house? How many of you ever remodeled your house? Okay. And, you know, if we took the time, you know, we'd ask a few questions like, well, why did you remodel? And probably the answers would be very similar. Well, it was wearing out. It was getting dated. Um, we just wanted to freshen it up. Whatever. You know what God's going to do? He's going to remodel his creation. And when he does, all he's going to have to do is say something like this. Let go, boys. And every one of those atoms goes up in nuclear fission. And he's got a clean slate to work with. That's our God this morning. That's our God. By the way, you got a problem? Take it to that powerful God. He can handle it. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, verse 3. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So there is no eternity of matter. There was a start to all of this, and God gave it the start by virtue of his word. His word created matter. There's something to think about. His word created matter, not the other way around. His word, spoken, brought matter into existence. By faith, Abel offered unto God, verse 4, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaketh. Now, uh, Abel here and Enoch in verse 5 almost seem out of context because they're in this first six verses with this definition of, of, of faith. But what we're going to find out later on is that Abel represents a large group of the people we're going to read about later, and so does Enoch. Because we have three, three different kinds of people here after we get past this, this, this uh, definition of faith. Verse, verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By the way, there isn't anybody here this morning that knows Christ that wouldn't like to get in on that one. <clears throat> and of course, Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church. <coughs> he was translated before the flood, which is a representation of the tribulation, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And by the way, this word testimony shows up several times here. And it just shows that all of these people, their lives were a testimony. By the way, this morning, your life is a testimony. Your life is a testimony. You know, brother last night brought up uh, 
He was rejoicing in, in something we had all been praying about. His grandmother got saved, got to lead his grandmother to Christ, and that's great. And, uh, but, you know, that is, isn't necessarily going to happen every day. Now, if it does for you, praise the Lord. You're, you're very exceptional. But uh, for most of us, that's not going to happen every day. But in between, we can be a testimony. We can be a witness. And believe it, folks, people notice. They really do. They may not say, say a lot, but they do notice. So, so be encouraged. Verse 6. Now watch this. But without faith, <clears throat> it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, so what is it that God wants us to do more than anything else? Is it do something good, give something away, be nice to somebody? And all of those are good things. But do you realize that more than anything else, what God wants from us as believers, it's real simple, is just believe him. Just believe him. And faith is so important, look at verse 6, that it's impossible to please him without it. So I could go do something charitable for somebody else, philanthropy, help somebody out that needs help. I could, I could do any number of things, but if it's not an act of faith, it doesn't please God. The number one thing that God's looking for out of you and me as believers is just to believe what he said. Now let me go back to something. Do we have a pretty big God? Yeah, we got more than that. I, I, I don't like it that the word awesome seems to be overworked. No, these days it's perfect. Yeah, that's the word. But I'm going to tell you something. God's way beyond awesome. Okay? Now, he's powerful He's powerful, and so what is it that you're facing today that seems impossible? With man, these things can be impossible. With God, the Bible says nothing is impossible. Nothing. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, number one, believe that he is, acknowledge his existence, but even more than that, and that he is a rewarder, now watch this, of them that diligently seek him. What, what was the one characteristic of God that he put forward that he said, look, with this faith in me, I want you to understand that I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. Does that sound positive to you? Does that sound positive? Does that sound rewarding? Does that sound like a blessing? You know, what, you know what God wants us to know? That really all he's looking for is us to believe him. And we're going to see this in this chapter. I mean, Abraham, him and Sarah couldn't have any children. They were way past the age of having children. And God pointed to the stars and said, Abraham, you're going to have that many kids. You believe that? And Abraham says, well, God, if you said it, I believe it. And that's what made him Abraham, the great patriarch of faith, the father of the nation of Israel, and everything else we know about him. 
just believing what he said and understanding that he's not going to send us in wild goose chases. Look what he says. He's a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what that tells me? That tells me if a lost man wants to know the truth, God has obligated himself to give it to him. I think of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. There was a guy that was diligently, that was diligently seeking God. And, and God obligated himself to bring the truth to him through Peter. And he preached the gospel. So we have that aspect of the promise, but we also have another aspect of the promise. If you're seeking God today, maybe you're in one of these classifications in this chapter. If you look at verse 7 through 17, we see impossible situations. Maybe you're up against an impossible situation. And by the way, impossible is in human terms. With God, nothing is impossible. But humanly speaking, you're in an impossible situation. Maybe, if you look at verse 17, on down through verse 27, maybe you're facing a severe testing. Maybe you're, you're facing a severe testing, and, and you're afraid you won't pass the test. Okay? Now the, now the next group, this is a group everybody wants to be in, verse 28, down to the middle of verse 35, that's miraculous deliverances. And by the way, when we pray, that's usually where we're trying to get in, right? Lord, just take care of this thing. And I don't blame you. I do the same thing. Why not, why not go for a 10? Huh? You say, well, I'm only expecting a 5. Go for a 10. You know, go all the way. Miraculous deliverances. And then at the end... From the second half of verse 35 to the end of the chapter, we see an unwavering fidelity. Uh, this last group here is, is like I said, I, I, it's beyond my comprehension. These are people that wouldn't accept deliverance from torture and martyrdom because they just had a fidelity to the truth and to their God and paid a great price for it. And we'll, we'll talk about them later. But what are you up against this morning? Everybody's up against something. This first group in these impossible situations, we're going to find that they had a faith to hope, a faith to believe. That even though they were up against these situations, and by the way, try to get your eyes off the situation and on and onto God. Let, let, your, let your faith get bigger than your fear. Let your God get bigger than your problems. Don't spend all your time staring at your problems. I know it's, I know it's hard not to do, but... And then, and then these severe testings. That's faith to endure. That's faith to endure. Sometimes it's severe testings. We, we just have to endure. And that faith believes that, that God is going to bring me through this. It's been a long time. It's gotten a bit monotonous, it's gotten a bit mundane, but God is going to bring me through this. Faith, faith to endure. And then miraculous deliverances, 
Here's an interesting faith, faith to rejoice. Faith to rejoice. Let me ask you something. When God does a great thing for you, do you spend a little extra time thanking him and praising him and hanging out with him? I sure hope so. You know what the human tendency is? Is to take him kind of like a spare tire and throw him back in the trunk. And kind of say, well, thanks, thanks for getting me to the gas station. Uh, see you next time I need you. See, this is a special faith, too, <clears throat> with miraculous deliverances, faith to rejoice. And then the last group with the unwavering fidelity is faith to submit, faith to accept. And like I said, they're a special group. When we get to them, you'll see. But faith, what a wonderful thing. What an elusive thing. What an elusive thing. Like we said Wednesday night, sometimes trying to understand faith is like trying to nail jello to the wall. And we say with the man in the Gospels, whose, whose eyes were welling up with tears, said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Can I encourage you this morning before we close? <clears throat> Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. If you look at your faith this morning and you say, gosh, I don't have a lot. My faith, my faith is pretty weak. Don't worry about it. It's not the amount of faith that counts. It's the object of faith that counts. And just make sure that great God we talked about who spoke everything into existence in six 24-hour days and holds everything together by the word of his power just because he said, let it be so. Amen. That same God is there to help you. Take your problems to him this morning. Amen. Take them to him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. You are so good and you are so great. And Father, I really think sometimes, oh, especially when I'm done preaching a message like this, we, I, I, don't, I don't think we've ever scratched the surface of all that. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that heaven's going to be that place or we can just swim in it. Um, we can indulge in it. We can understand in ways that we don't understand now and never could. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that are up against impossible situations, severe testings. I ask in behalf of those that have much to rejoice over because of, of a miraculous deliverance, help them, Lord, to draw close to you and be very thankful and, and praise you and, and uh, hang out with you. And Lord... For those with unwavering fidelity, Lord, that uh, they weren't left with a lot of good choices. But they made the right one. They decided to stand for you. And they've paid a price for it. Help them. That's going on all over the world today. You saw that video about Richard Warmbrand in Romania. and Father, it's going on in China right now. It's going on in Russia. It's going on in places in Africa where believers are being wiped out, genocide, tortured, jailed. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't have any names today, but you know who they are. Be with them in a special way. And if our time ever comes, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to value your name and our testimony to your name more than even life itself. Thank you for your word today. Increase our faith. 
Increase our faith, Lord. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Number 389. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. Number 389. found a resting place not in device nor creed I trust the ever living one his wounds for me shall plead I need no other argument I need no other plea it is enough that Jesus died died for me enough for me that Jesus saves Heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he gave, for me his life. salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through His blood. And I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died. And uh, let me say before we're dismissed, I really appreciate um, my assistants and others that helped out while I was gone for this last month. So uh, as you already know, they did a great job. And I really appreciate them. So thank you, guys. Thank you very much.